from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Tuesday, April 21st. Thanks for being here. We are just two days away from the NFL draft, the NFL virtual draft taking place, kicking off on Thursday. Lots of discussion on what the Seahawks will do with their first round pick. Will it be a trade back year? We'll hear more from Pete and John tomorrow on a conference call and have some sound for you heading into the draft. But one area of need is pass rush, whether they address that in free agency or in the draft or both. It is a focus of their offseason, according to Pete. One name that has been tied here is Yannick, uh, Unique Ngakwe, excuse me, and, and yesterday letting his feelings be known how he feels about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, we already knew that that relationship was damaged, but maybe not quite to this extent. A a new uh, social media rant that happened yesterday. We'll dig through the details of that. Also, speaking of this draft coming up, all 32 teams participated in a dry run of the virtual draft for two rounds yesterday. And, yep, you guessed it, there were some technical glitches, including... Uh, the very first team on the clock. So we'll explain what happened there and how they will plan on address it, fixing it and addressing it before the actual draft takes place. Also more from Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr on the latest episode of the Flying Coach Podcast from The Ringer. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Well, the relationship between defensive end Unique Ngakwe and his team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, already appeared to be irreparably damaged due to contract disagreements between the two parties. But yesterday, the discord taken to some new heights and in full display of everyone on Twitter, Unique Ngakwe's frustration over not being traded by the Jags erupted on social media on Twitter yesterday in in exchange between Ngakwe and Tony Khan, the son of owner Shad Khan and the team's senior vice president of football administration and technology. It culminated in Unique calling Tony Khan a clown and urging that the team get this done. Uh, the disharmony between these two parties really began with the with the the Jags and Unique back in July when then executive VP of football operations Tom Coughlin abruptly broke off the negotiations with Yannick and his uh, and his agent Unique. Geez, Lydia, you can get this right. Uh, the Jags reportedly offered Ngakwe a deal that would pay him nineteen million dollars annually, but uh, Unique turned that down and he played last season after holding out during training camp for eleven days. For $2.025 million, some would consider that a bargain for someone who's racked up 29 and a half sacks in three seasons. Uh, the Jags applied the non-exclusive franchise tag to him on March 13th, and he uh, would earn $17.8 million in 2020, but has yet to sign that tender and has been urging the team on social media to trade him for the past several months, uh, reportedly in the market for a longer-term deal. So how did this one play out Yesterday, hold on, I think we need uh, this music to appropriately orchestrate it. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the, the Twitter of rants our of our lives. 
The exchange yesterday began with Ngakwe's tweet that said only free Yan. A few minutes later, Ngakwe told Tony Khan to stop hiding. Uh, Tony Khan responded saying, I'm not hiding, sir. I'm in isolation getting ready for the draft. I've been pretty active on social media in isolation, but you wouldn't know that since you unfollowed me, parentheses, again. After Khan responded with that, Ngakwe followed up with the claim that Khan told him that the Jags game against the Los Angeles Chargers on December 8th was his last in a Jags uniform. He also said he wasn't returning calls from his agent and ended the tweet with a clown emoji. Tony Khan then responded saying, it's a new regime regime here, sir. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of the contributions you made here. That said, tweeting insults at me won't get you traded any faster. Only good trade compensation will do that. Please redirect your efforts into a more productive outlet. Uh, and Gakwe said, just trade me. I don't need the speech. And then Tony Khan said, show me the compensation. I'm sure you're really driving up the price today, by the way. Hours later, Ngakwe posted again on Twitter, this time perhaps in dr- addressing his future franchise and wanting to close the book on this one. He said, to my future team, whoever it may be, I can't wait to bring great discipline, integrity, and work ethic to that new city. Wherever I may land, you're going to get the hardest working defensive end in the league. Now, Ngakwe was reportedly seeking more than $20 million annually, especially after he saw players like Trey Flowers, Frank Clark, and Demarcus Lawrence get big deals in March and April of last year. But the markets turned a little bit. Pass rushers this year didn't get that same type of money, at least the way that they did the previous year in free agency. Dante Fowler Jr., uh, Ngakwe's former Jags teammate, got a three-year deal with Atlanta that pays him $15 million annually. And then there was Robert Quinn's five-year deal with Chicago that pays him 14 per year. Jadevian Clowney still out there, has yet to sign with a team, and lots of Seahawks fans hoping that will be here in Seattle. But uh, another big name that has reportedly lowered his asking price was looking for upwards of 20 and then uh, is now saying that that, or at least rumors are that asking prices dropped to between 17 and 18 million annually per an ESPN report. Trey Wingo this morning comparing these two pass rushers between Unique and Jadevian. Uh, sort of a, a player comp here, because uh, the other big pass rusher that's still out there is Jadavion Clowney. Right. And there's some, obviously some medical concerns about him. But just so people understand how productive Yannick has been, Clowney has 32 sacks in six seasons. And again, it's not just sacks. Pressures are, are in many situations, just as good as a sack. But Clowney has 32 sacks in six seasons, and Gakwe has 37 and a half and four. Adam Schefter, though, explaining why it would be hard to deal unique. The Jaguars have 12 picks going into this draft, which ties them with the Patriots and Vikings for second most in the league. They could trade Yannick Ngagwe and get more draft picks. So they may be sitting on more ammunition, more draft capital than any team in the league. Now, Yannick Ngagwe, they're going to drive a harder bargain on because he's in demand and he's a elite young pass rusher. And I think there's some interest around the league. The problem with Ngagwe is that you have to compensate the Jaguars, who we saw what they got in return for Jalen Ramsey. They don't just settle, and you're going to have to satisfy Yannick Ngakwe with a new deal, and that's not going to be easy either, particularly in uncertain times where we don't even know when the football season is going to begin, if there's going to be a full schedule, if there's going to be fans in attendance. There are a lot of issues there. In the meantime, though, uh, enjoying the uh, the online 
antics because we have no sports on our TV right now. So uh, at least we're being entertained online somehow. All 32 teams participated in a practice run of the virtual draft Monday morning. The draft is scheduled to kick off this Thursday. And so the teams completed a two-round practice session to know to work through the logistics of the virtual draft this is as unprecedented time we are in allow the powers that be to root out any possible technical issues and what do you know guys yes you predicted it there were some they included a two and a half minute delay for the cincinnati Bengals to make the first pick according to adam schefter if there are glitches as there were at the Bengals' turn it was not the Bengals' fault the glitch lasted about two and a half minutes it stopped the draft. And again, if it happened again on Thursday night, the league would simply stop the draft at that point in time. Now, they've got a number of safeguards in place. That's why they went through the rehearsal to make sure there are no issues like that. But I think everybody understands the times we're operating in. There's never been a draft like this. And so if there are issues, you do what you can to overcome it. This was just a rehearsal as to what would happen if something did go wrong. Something did go wrong. Right off the bat. But there was also an issue with too many people on the uh, conference call and not using the mute function, which was the one I predicted. This was easy to predict, though, because you're asking 32 teams to put themselves on mute on a conference call that's used only in case of emergency. So if all else fails technology-wise, you would go to this conference call to submit your pick. Uh, But how can... You ask 32 teams who've got a lot on their plate already to remember always to hit the mute button. And if only we could be a fly on a wall in that room to overhear some of those conversations. Diana Rossini, uh, who does an amazing job covering the NFL for ESPN, talked about how they used this as an opportunity to work out some of the technical issues, but also told a great story how one head coach had their internet go down because of Disney+. Plus. I actually had one head coach. I was on the phone. We were actually getting into it in terms of talking draft, normal conversation. And... <laughs> He just was like grunting and making these strange noises. And I was like, Are you good? He's like, He's like, No, I'm just frustrated. My internet went down. He's like, Again. I'm like, Oh, all right. And he's like, Hold on. And you just hear him in like the most fatherly dad voice ever was like, Get off the internet. (laughs) And he was yelling at his kids. And he later explained that his kids were on. Here's, Here's the funny part. They were on Disney Plus on their iPad. You <laughs> cannot make it oh up. Oh, my God. You know, and as a company gal, I didn't want to put it out there, but I was like, people need to know. Like, this is funny. Good plug for ESPN. Uh, but hopefully that one didn't happen during the actual draft. That was just a separate conversation Diana was having uh, with this GM. But hopefully, you know, everybody uh, will not be streaming videos as great as The Mandalorian is during the draft and uh, will lead hopefully not to these types of internet uh, internet problems. Up next on the Blitz, uh, one NFC West team is looking to deal their first round picks, multiple picks, potentially who for also a couple of trade candidates on their roster that they are shopping around. And we hear from Richard Sherman on why he thinks the Wonderlick is a pointless test. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, April 21st. 
The draft inching ever closer, and one NFC West team might be looking to deal out of the first round. Uh, No, not specifically the Seahawks, although we've known that John Schneider has been willing to do that uh, several times in his past career. But this time, it's the 49ers. Adam Schefter reported yesterday that the Niners were open for business when it comes to trading Either of their first round picks, they have the number 13 selection and the number 31 selection. And San Francisco general manager John Lynch also confirming that Monday afternoon. But here was Adam Schefter in the original report. 49ers are fielding calls for picks 13 and 31. They would move both picks in the first round. Keep in mind, they don't have second, third or fourth round picks. They want more picks. They're taking calls. They're open to dealing. They would trade both. And it sets up what should be a very busy week with the draft Thursday night. Also got to set up your uh, your hubs in your uh, in your basements or in your houses. Make sure all the Internet connections are working. But as it stands, the 49ers aren't slated to pick after number 31 until number 156. Now, that prospect might be pretty daunting for them. Uh, they traded their second round pick to Kansas City last offseason uh, in order to acquire defensive end D. Ford. They also sent third and fourth round picks to the Broncos for wideout Emmanuel Sanders and a fifth round choice at midseason. They acquired the 13th pick on March 18th when they traded a D-tackle DeForest Buckner to the Colts. And then number 31 is their original choice. Now, to this point, Lynch said those picks have received interest, but there's not been any, any sort of real enticing offer. Might have to wait till actual draft day to see uh, who is off the board and teams looking to make moves at that time. Draft picks, though, aren't the only thing that that team could be willing to deal right now. Trade rumors have uh, circled involving a couple of the Niners players, including D. Ford, also linebacker Quan Alexander, receiver Marquise Goodwin, and uh, safety Chiquiski Tart. Lynch said that the only one of those players that has been actively shopped is uh, Marquise Goodwin, though. He started the first six games of last season, but uh, fell down the depth chart. He battled a lot of drops last year, just some up and down mercurial times, inconsistency, landed on uh, injured reserve because of knee and foot issues in December. And that offense uh, pretty stacked at this point. Richard Sherman, we always like hearing from him. He was on Jalen and Jacoby this week and had uh, all different things to say. First, let's start with the draft. Talked about uh, how he feels about Joe Burrow. Predicted to go number one overall. Burrow, Herbert. Tua, the list goes on. Who would you take and why? Uh, I'd probably take the Burroughs kid. You know, he's played well in big games. He's he's shown up, um, shown an aptitude to, to make big plays and to, to be precise in his ability um, to be poised under pressure. You know, all that matters. You know, obviously, it doesn't always translate to the next level, but um, he seems to have all the measurables, everything you want in the quarterback, and, and leads his men well. I like that. The Burroughs kid, though. Uh, talking about his own quarterback, Sherm on Jimmy G. I, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't pay much attention to it. Um, in the locker room, it was it was fine. You know, guys were disappointed we lost. You know, it was a great season. Um, guys fought hard. You know, they, they beat us. Um, at the end of the day, none of us executed well enough at the end of that ball game to win it. Um, but nobody in our locker room, even, even remotely, thinks that. Um, I think that's... Once again, the outside world, you know, if, they, if you left it to the outside world and the media to make decisions, they, they'd make the most terrible decisions. Teams would be torn apart. <laughs> Guys, you know what I mean? Like every, every, every time it's like, hey, replace this guy. And then he's a Hall of Famer. And they're like, see, I told you he was great. 
And then, <laughs> you know, they're never wrong. Um, criti critics can never be wrong, apparently. So um, we don't we don't really worry about that noise. You know, he's our guy. He's a guy we believe in. He just took us to the Super Bowl. Um, and we, we hope to, to, to try to make it there next year. Sherm also talked about one of the pre-draft assessments that happens, the Wonderlick. He said it is a pointless test. It's just a nothing test. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a football test. So if you want if you want a guy to, to take a test, you know, gauging his intelligence, then gauge his intelligence. But to say the Wonderlick, you know what I mean? You you have guys at the combine who are usually off of three or four hours of sleep going back and forth, you know what I mean, getting pushed around here, tested at 3 o'clock in the morning, then being kept up till till 1 o'clock in the morning for, for meetings with, with coaches and evaluations, and then you want them to go in the room and take a test for 30 minutes and take it seriously when, when it will have no effect on their draft grade. You know, it's just not something guys are going to do. Now, some guys are just better test takers, and they, they say, hey, this is easy. I'm just going to blast through this. And some guys are like, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this or being here, and it's not going to affect whether I go or not. So what's the point? Uh, that's a sentiment that's been shared by a lot of people. Our own Danny O'Neill also speaking about that yesterday, and those scores really not meant to be public, but they usually end up being so. And uh, it can be embarrassing for some people and it, just an unfair assessment. Richard Sherman also with some thoughts on COVID-19 and everything going on in the world right now. I don't worry about it at all. Um, because I think, you know, people, I don't know, I guess it might be an athlete, you know, macho thing. But there was a time during last season where I felt like the, almost the entire league had it. You know, that wow. there, there was a time the Patriots were taking a separate plane and everybody thought it was a flu. And, and guys are running out of ball games. I think one of the old linemen for the Vikings had to leave, couldn't even play. He was a starter. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's already ran rapid through our league, honestly. Like when they when they have the antibody test or whatever, I'm sure they'll figure out that a lot of the league has had it and gotten thrown get gotten through it um, because they thought it was the flu. So they didn't quarantine anybody. They didn't separate anybody. They didn't keep guys at home. Guys were still coming to work, going to work, doing the same normal things, interacting with guys, having conversations, um, practicing. So it's it's one of those things that you know it it it. it It'll kind of be what it is, you know what I mean? It, guys will get tested. They'll do their best. You know, guys will um, – the, the league will try to keep everybody safe, but it's life. Uh, Von Miller of, of the Denver Broncos was one of the players that publicly came out and uh, as testing positive, and that was just recently. Uh, we got to hear from him on NFL Live as well, and sounds like – He's doing all right, uh, despite dealing with a pre-existing asthma condition. So that's good news. But we'll see if that trend continues and how the NFL will, will respond. Up next on the Blitz, a Seahawks legend, Walter jo Jones, joining Bob, Dave, and more yesterday. Also, another draft preview with ESPN's Brady Henderson. It's next on the Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, April 21st, two days away from the NFL draft. And so who better to talk to than ESPN's Brady Henderson, who covers the Seahawks. He used to be 710's Brady Henderson, but now over there at ESPN, 
chatting with Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday to preview the draft of what the Seahawks might do. What are some areas offensively that you look at what positions, and do you think that they're going to be willing to go high with those picks, uh, namely receiver, running back, or offensive line? Yeah, running back is, is probably the one that jumps out first. Um, and obviously, you know, we all know, um, or we all know what we've heard that it's this, you know, historically deep receiver draft. And I, um, I very much could see them taking a receiver, especially after, um, you know, rescinding their tender offer on Malik Turner. Um, but I think running back just in, in terms of need right now, obviously you've got two pretty good ones and, and Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, but we all know the injury situations with both of those guys. And I think John Schneider even acknowledged, um, at the combine that that's a position that they were definitely going to add to. And we haven't seen them do that this year. And, you know, I think if looking at the draft, this is kind of an interesting, um, you know, position that they could be in with there's it, the draft seems to me to have some, some pretty nice, interest, intriguing prospects that could be available uh, in that second, third round range. Guys like um, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin and, and Cam Akers from Florida State, Zach Moss from Utah. Um, and obviously, Certainly, there's a debate as to you know about the merits of spending an early round pick on a running back, but um, I think we know where the Seahawks fall on that because they drafted Rashawn Penny 27th overall last year, uh, and it's, again, it's a big need for them. So uh, that's the first position of those offensive positions that come to mind. You know, I think that most fans are expecting Seattle to trade back, but does it almost make it more likely that they do so because they have flexibility in the second round? I think of when they actually made picks in the first round. Uh, so outside of Jermaine Effetti, you're looking at like LJ Collier and Rashad Penny. When they drafted Penny, uh, I don't think they had a second rounder. With LJ Collier, they didn't have a ton of flexibility. So do you think that it's more likely that they trade back and kind of gear up those picks in the second round? Uh, and and then make some higher than normal picks, or that they just keep trading back and build up special teamers. You know, I think from from I think that they would want to trade back this year as much as any year, and it's just the nature of you know where they're picking, where they typically pick in the first round. And um, you know, I wrote a story for ESPN.com last week, kind of explaining what I believe is is the rationale there, which is that when you're picking that late in the round, you know, in, in any draft, you know, they might have. I don't know, 18 to 20 uh, in that range, first round grades on guys. So by the time that their turn comes up in, in the mid 20s, or in this case, 27, there's usually, you know, there might not be that many first round talents that they have to choose from. And so you might as well move back uh, a few spots and get a guy who is, you know, maybe there, there's not that big of a drop off from somebody that you could take at 27 versus, you know, say 35. And, you know, the, the numbers bear that out too when you look at the number of pro bowlers drafted. Uh, in those final 12 spots in the first round compared to those first 12 spots in the second round, the drop-off is only, over the last 10 years, it's been 28 Pro Bowlers to come from um, 21 to 32 versus 22 Pro Bowlers to come from those next 12 spots. So there's not a huge drop-off in your chances of finding a stud player early in the second round compared to late in the first. Um, and this year, you know, one one other point I'll make there, too, is that um, – I wonder how difficult it might be to trade picks this year, just given, you know, this yeah. is a virtual draft. And from everything I've heard, you know, Pete Carroll was on Sirius uh, a week or so ago talking about just the mechanics of, of trying to trade picks in an in a normal draft where everybody's in the same room. And it sounds like there's so many moving parts that go into that, especially when you consider that, you know, you're doing it, you're up against the clock, uh, and that clock gets shorter and shorter as you go down in the rounds. And it sounds chaotic enough, even in a normal setting, 
and I wonder if it might be extra chaotic in this virtual setting. And so um, I still think they're they're certainly going to look to trade back in that spot. They're going to look to make a, a number of trades in this draft. I just wonder, you know, how uh, the logistics of that might be impacted by the virtual setting. That was ESPN's Brady Henderson on with Tom, Jake, and Stacy. Full interview available on the podcast section of 710sports.com. Just waiting there for you. Also, yesterday, the legend Walter Jones, Big Walt, joining Bob, Dave, and more to talk about what he'd like to see from the Seahawks. Hey, we, we put out a, a poll question today asking what fans want the Seahawks to do with that first-round pick. Not what they think they're going to do with it, but what do they want them to do with it. We gave them an option of trading up, trading down, staying and making a pick at 27, or packaging it up and trading for Ngakwe. If you're voting on this, Walter, what, what would you vote for? Oh, man, uh, that's a tough call because I've been, I've been watching the draft for the last couple of years. Uh, I think you trade down, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that's what they're going to do anyway. But, if, if you know, I think we definitely need some offensive linemen. So if they're going to, you know, you want to protect your prize, and your prize is uh, Russell Wilson. So I think the more competition you have at that position, I think that's going to be better uh, for Russell. So I think if you go that route, to the offensive alignment that 27 pick, I think that's the best option at this point now. Look at Big Walt, still protecting quarterbacks, even in his retired days, wants to protect the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I like it, Walt. I like it. Hey, uh, take us back to when you were drafted. I'm going to talk a little bit about way back in 1987 when I got drafted this week. But uh, right. it was just such a special day for me. But uh what what about for you? I mean, it, it, tell us what, where you were and and how it went down and how exciting that was for you. Oh, it was a definitely a special day for me. I was uh, I didn't I didn't go out to New York uh, at that point in that time. I was coming, you know, I played at Florida State, but I had only played one year. Uh, I was reading the reports, but at the time I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I don't want to go out there, and I you know I wasn't really planning for the draft. I just wanted to get into the NFL, so. I said I, the one thing I wanted to do is to share with my family. So I stayed at home in my hometown of Aliceville, Alabama, and kind of celebrated with my family. I kind of sat there and waited. And uh, once I got picked by the Seattle Seahawks, uh, kind of that's where uh, that's where everything kind of changed for me and my family. So it was a special moment. My mom was there, all my sisters and brother. I thought you know my mom at the time she understood what was going on, but she really didn't know. So I kind of like was like, hey. You know, things going to change. Things going to be better. So for me to be able to share that with my mom and and uh, she see the tears in her eyes and, and understanding what was really about to happen, that was a, a very special day for me. I'll bet. Walter, at the time, what would you know about the Seahawks and what would you know about Seattle? I had a little, I knew about Seattle, but I didn't know nothing. I was, um, I tell people all the time, I came out, you know, at that time they was, was going on visit. I had went out to um I went out to Oakland Raiders for a visit, and they show uh, major, you know, some 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 interest. I kind of figured that's where I was going. That was kind of like one of those meetings where you walk into this uh, this room and you stand at the table and they're asking questions. You drawing up plays, and you know you're meeting every coach, and they're showing that hey, we're interested in you. We like what you were doing. So when you left that meeting, you felt like okay, this is probably where I'm gonna end up at. So I'm going, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm telling my agent, hey, I think I feel pretty good. And then I was heading home after that visit, and then he was like, "No, you got to make a detour. You got to go out to Seattle. Uh, they want to want you to fly from Oakland out to Seattle." So I was like, "Cool." So when I flew out to Seattle, uh, when I got here, that, that's when they had the old uh, complex right there in Kirkland, and I got picked up at the airport. I went to the complex there, and uh, that was only one person I met. I met Howard Mudd. There was nobody else there. No coaches. I didn't meet. The, I didn't meet nobody else. I just uh, I got there. There was nobody there. That the place was dark. 
and I met Howard Mudd. He took me upstairs and he talked for me a little bit. And he showed he asked me he showed one play I played and asked me what I was thinking on this play, and and that was all he asked. And he walked me around the locker room, and then that was it. And I'm like, I'm definitely not going to sign with Seattle. But that was a that was a, a, a weird meeting. But I think I, I, after the draft was over with, I heard things saying that you know Howard Mudd was like, hey, this guy going to be a game changer and we need to pick this guy and I ended up in Seattle. That was Walter Jones. It was, it was lucky for us. So, but Walter Jones uh, on with Bob, Dave, and more yesterday. Full interview available online, 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it is time for the hot list. Uh, some more looks at the dra- the upcoming draft, the technological issues they sorted through yesterday, plus uh, baseball commissioner Rob Manfred made a move yesterday that allows teams to lay off or cut the pay of major and minor league managers, coaches, and trainers. What does it all mean? Uh, coming up next in the hot list. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! The Last Dance was pretty incredible on Sunday. The first of the 10-part docu-series by Netflix and ESPN aired. And the first two episodes, but 10 already doesn't seem like it will be enough. And coming up, we'll get a better look at Dennis Rodman, who was a big part of that team and, the, and that picture. He spoke recently about how you will probably see uh, a lot more of him in episode three coming up this Sunday. And he had some interesting comments, though, on the dynamic, even just the the social dynamic between himself, Jordan, and Scottie Pippen. Um, Here was him talking about how they didn't really talk to each other. It was really only during the game. If you're going to see me next week on part three, probably 95% of the time, it is going to be amazing that I I, I ran my own beat. I I didn't live in Mike and Scottie's shadow. I was there to go there, uh, rebound, win championships. To win championships, I did my thing off the court. I never, I never talked to Michael Scotty. I never did talk to Michael Scotty. Even Steve Kerr said that yesterday. He said, "Wow, Dennis never talked to no one." I didn't. And then when we go out to restaurants, the same restaurant, we would actually create a triangle. We we would not even talk to each other in a restaurant. Long time we even communicate is in a game. So it's like, wow. Yeah, that would be weird going out to a restaurant. What if you need somebody to pass you something on the table? It's really awkward. Dennis Rodman also talking about Jordan and saying he talked really highly of his teammates, but maybe not so much when reporters were asking those questions. If you saw Michael Jordan talk about people on that team, especially Scottie Pippen, he talked so highly of Scottie Pippen, so highly of him. It was almost he almost got in tears talking about Scottie Pippen. But if you saw when, they, when, um, when the reporters start asking Michael about Scottie Pippen, Michael got perturbed. If you didn't see that, he got perturbed. He said, "Why don't you go ask Scottie?" And uh, but if you let Michael talk about people, he will praise you all day long. But if you come at Michael Jordan and start asking a question about somebody without, without talking about him, it's a different Michael Jordan. 
Also had some praise for Scottie Pippen as well. I don't know what the tension was between him and the management because I never asked for that, asked for that information. But I think it was just more where Scottie was, was unappreciated because if you know this by Scottie Pippen, when Michael Jordan left in 93, 90, 93, 94, 95, Scottie Pippen was the best player in the world. If people didn't know that, he led the whole, he led the team in every category, every category. Yep. Scottie got his wings in 1991 when they beat Detroit Pistons. He got his wings then, and he started on that trend from winning three championships. When Michael left, Scott, Scott took over. And next thing you know, he was the best player yeah. in the world, and people don't know that. Also, Dennis Rodman on if Jerry Krause should be known for building the Bills dynasty or tearing it down, kind of portrayed or painted uh, as the villain somewhat in the in the past two episodes. But Dennis Rodman on Jerry Cross. I never really got into the politics of it, but I guess um, I never asked Mike or Scotty, what is the reason why you guys are so bitter towards the management? I never, I never asked those guys that, but after a couple of years, I, I figured it out where it, it all, they all came from. Because I guess it came from Scotty, and then I think it really hit the, hit the, head, on, hit the head right there with uh, Phil Jackson when uh, Jerry Cross said, he didn't care. We won 82 games. You are not coming back. And I think that hurt Phil Jackson more than anything in the world. And I think that hurt Scotty. I hurt, that hurt Michael. For me, I was just more there for the lie. Pretty much. I wanted to win championship with these guys. And uh, I would go to war with these guys any time of the day. And uh, it, was just, it was just sad, the fact that we could have came back and won a fourth championship very easily. But the next part airing on Sunday, again, the next two episodes, uh, baseball commissioner Rob Manfred has made a move that will allow teams to lay off or cut the pay of major and minor league managers, coaches, and trainers and full-time scouts beginning on May 1st. Manfred suspended uniform employee contracts, UECs, uh, that cover about 9,000 people, including, on some teams, general managers. Manfred cited the inability to play games due to the national emergency caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. In an email yesterday, Manfred said, quote, our clubs rely heavily on revenue from tickets, concessions, broadcasting media, licensing and sponsorships to pay salaries. In the absence of games, these revenue streams will be lost or substantially reduced and the clubs will not have sufficient funds to meet their financial obligations. The impact of the suspension of the UEC that's the uniform employee contract on your personal employment situation will be determined by your club. Arizona, Atlanta, Boston, Chicago White Sox, Cincinnati, Minnesota, the New York Yankees, Philadelphia, San Diego, San Francisco, and Toronto are among teams that have committed to paying full-time employees through May. Miami will pay full-time baseball operations staff through the month. The Cubs will pay those on the UECs and front office staff through their May 29 paychecks. Uh, Major League rule requires that UECs must be signed by all managers, coaches, trainers, and salaried scouts, and some teams include additional baseball operations staff. Manfred said that the Baseball Assistance Team Charitable Organization is available to consider grant applications on an expedited basis for those facing significant and immediate financial hardship. Major League Baseball players, meanwhile, uh, may have to take additional pay cuts uh, if games are played in empty ballparks due to the COVID outbreak. Last week, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, said he was told by the Mets chief operating officer that the union would have to agree to lower salaries if games are played without fans. 
a March 26th deal between the sides, between the uh, Players Association and the Office of the Commissioner, uh, said that it, they would discuss in good faith the economic feasibility of playing games in the absence of spectators or at appropriate substitute neutral sites. The union points to another passage covering salaries in which players agree to give up one 162 second. So basically, the, the salary you'd be paid per game uh, for each regular season game lost. Players recently reached an agreement with MLB that outlines economic terms for resumption of play, which included significant salary adjustments and a number of other compromises. Tony Clark, the head of the union, said yesterday, we're now focused on discussing ways to get back on the field. Uh, he said, under, of course, conditions that work uh, for everyone's health and safety. But the agreement says that without consent by the commissioner's office, the season won't start until there are no official restrictions that would limit teams from playing in front of fans in the 30 clubs' home ballparks. Um, There is a chance, there is little chance, that now they play a 162-game schedule, meaning that players would stand to forfeit uh, anywhere from, if you're playing under the league minimum, which is just over a half million dollars, that per game you lose just right around $3,500. Then you're on the upper echelon of players like Mike Trout and Garrett Cole, who will miss um, closer over $200,000 for each game that they miss. Very different disparity between between the uh, players, obviously, but um, still a big hit for some. A pair of fans in New York are suing Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, and the 30 teams, a Panther for life. I never focused on uh, signing somewhere else. I, that never occurred to me. I want to be in Carolina for my whole career. I bought a play. To an exchange culminating in Unique calling Tony Khan a clown and urging that the team get a trade done uh, so that he may depart Jacksonville. Uh, the discord between the two parties ba- began back in July and negotiations between Unique Ngakwe and his agent broke off between then-executive VP of Football Operations Tom Coughlin. Uh, the Jags reportedly offered Unique a deal that would pay him $19 million annually, but he turned that down and then played last season after a holdout, brief holdout, 11 days during training camp for just over $2 million, million but has yet to sign the tender and has been urging the team on social media to trade him for the past several months. So this yesterday, uh, getting into a spat between the two, several uh, exchanges, but basically Unique telling Tony Khan to stop hiding. He said he's not hiding. I'm in isolation getting ready for the draft. I've been pretty active on social media in isolation, but you wouldn't know that since you unfollowed me again. Ngakwe followed that up by saying that Khan told him that the Jags game against the Los Angeles Chargers today, by the way, Speaking of which, Adam Schefter explaining yesterday why it might be hard to deal unique. The Jaguars have 12 picks going into this draft, which ties them with the Patriots and Vikings for second most in the league. They could trade Yannick Ngagwe and get more draft picks. So they may be sitting on more ammunition, more draft capital than any team in the league. Now, Yannick Ngagwe, they're going to drive a harder bargain on because he's in demand and he's a elite young pass rusher. And I think there's some interest around the league. The problem with Ngakwe is that you have to compensate the Jaguars, who we saw what they got in return for Jalen Ramsey. They don't just settle, and you're going to have to satisfy Yannick Ngakwe with a new deal. And that's not going to be easy either, particularly in uncertain times where we don't even know when the football season is going to begin, if there's going to be a full schedule, if there's going to be fans in attendance. There are a lot of issues there. 
That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.